Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be speaking with Stella Rouse, who's the author of Latinos in the Legislative Process, Interest and Influence. Stella, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Heath? It's, it's, uh, I'm doing well. I enjoyed the book. Um, uh, timely topic, really well-researched. Before we get to the book itself, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, where you've been, uh, what, what fills up your time. Well, I'm a, an assistant professor at the University of Maryland in College Park, Maryland. Uh, well, I, as you've already mentioned, my book topic, uh, that's generally what I do. I study uh, my main area of interest, of course, is American politics with a concentration on Latinos, uh, specifically more broadly minority politics, uh, legislative behavior, legislative behavior, um, and then, you know, minority politics more broadly, I do a, a little bit of uh, behavior outside of, of the legislative uh, arena. Um, and, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm working on uh, doing some work uh, uh, looking at Congress and minority coalitions in, in Congress um, with a focus on social networks. And so that's what I'm working on currently. Fantastic. It's, um, uh, your, your book is, is really interesting because it does touch on some aspects that, that really aren't dealt with in, in full detail sort of in the popular discussion of Latinos in politics, which is frequently discussed in terms of individual voting behavior and sometimes with some individual members of Congress. But, but you've really taken a, a very comprehensive look at, at uh, voting patterns in Congress and, and policymaking. Before we get to sort of the, 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 meat, the meat of your story that you have to tell, let's talk about two terms. Which, which would be helpful to, for you to sort of explain and define uh, for us. And the two terms are descriptive representation and substantive representation. Um, what do these two terms mean, and why are they important to take on separately as you do in the book? Sure. So descriptive representation refers to representation of groups, and, and of course I should say uh, from the onset that these terms are used uh, you know, normally when we're describing the representation of minority groups, 
right? Um, and oftentimes we look at minority groups historically as being represented by whites because, you know, whites and, and in particular white males because those are the ones that have historically been the ones that have been elected to, to the institutions, to our, to our uh, representative institutions. So we use these terms to, to, to describe the representation of minorities because we look at descriptive representation as being the representation of minorities as those who, who represent minorities, uh, the people that represent minorities that look like them, that look like, for example, blacks representing blacks, right, or Latinos representing Latinos. So they descriptively represent those that look like them, right? So that's what we describe. We we use those terms to describe the ones that that represent the people that look like the people that are representing those groups. So descriptive representatives would be the representatives that look like the members of those particular groups. Substantive representation, we speak of those uh, representing those members of those groups as representing those in a way that they can stand in place for the representation of those groups. So we often have used those, the term substantive representation in a way that describes uh, that those white representatives that have represented the interests of minority groups. So, for example, a white representative can maybe represent the interests of a minority group, but they don't look like that minority group. So we have used those terms exclusively at times because minority representatives have not had uh, minority representatives have not been able to represent minorities at times. But now that we have had more, uh, you know, have been able to have more minority representatives in positions of power, we can start using those terms not exclusively, right? So we have been able to use those terms together. So can minority representatives, can descriptive representatives also provide substantive representation for minorities? So we have descriptive representatives also providing substantive representation. So they represent minorities, they look like those representatives, but also represent the interests of minorities. Yeah, let's focus first on descriptive representation, not really the focus of your book. Um, but, but it really does set the context uh, into which we can start. So how are Latinos represented in various legislative, uh, in, in legislative terms? Um, what kind of numbers are we looking at at the national level uh, and, and within state legislatures? Um, we know about increasing, uh, increasing size of the Latino population in the U.S., but how closely does representation track with those increases uh, in, in the years that you study? Right. So we still have, obviously, uh, you know, Latinos are the largest minority group and they're the largest and fastest growing minority group in this country. Um, but those numbers in, in represented institutions, both at the state level and at the national level, those numbers are not growing at the same level in representative bodies as they are in the general population. Right, so we have, uh, you know, by by the year 2050, we're talking about, you know, a third to even larger numbers of of Latinos in this country, right, as being the largest minority group. But unfortunately, those numbers are not tracking the same in 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 representative institutions. So in in Congress, you know, we're still talking about, you know, very very few Latinos in Congress, right, serving in Congress. Uh, it's still less than 10% in Congress, right? In the state legislature, depending on the state that you're talking about, right, 
with the exception of New Mexico, which has a huge um, Latino repre representation in Congress, it's almost the majority that serve in New Mexico. And we can talk about New Mexico being the exception because they have a, a huge history of Latinos serving serving in, in that legislature. Um, and, and they're just the exception to the rule compared to other states. Um, you know, it's depending on the state that you talk about, California has a huge representation of Latinos. Texas, uh, still pretty big. But other states, it's still, you know, uh, still pretty low, right? Um, so Latinos are still the minority in many of the states that we talk about in terms of representation. And they are not growing at the level that you would like to see, given the population, right, in all these states, increasing in the population. Right. And once elected, whether whether they make up 5% of the legislature, 10%, or in the case of New Mexico, even more, there's this second element that you describe, which is which is how legislators act, how they behave once once in office. This all seems to uh, uh, assume that there are a set of Latino interests, and and so are there. Uh, and if they are, what what are they? And is there anything surprising that you found about what the Latino electorate cares about um, that that we might not expect? Sure. Well, uh, and I'll back up just a little bit, and and that you've now taken the discussion a little bit to Latino interest. And I think one thing that that I that I want to say about I think that's important about the book is I think one thing that was missing um, in in the literature on Latinos and Latino representation is that a lot of the literature on the subject um, assumed that that Latinos you know, had their own interests, right? That there was a Latino agenda or, or that, Latin, that Latinos had, you know, particular interests that they were, that, that you know, that, that they were interested in, right? That, that, that they had particular priorities. Um, but that it wasn't empirically established that they had a Latino political agenda. And so when we talked about Latinos representing, Latino representatives uh, putting Latino interests on the agenda, there was this assumption that, you know, they were representing a Latino political agenda. And so I thought, I felt it was very important uh, that we looked at that, or that I looked at that uh, starting out in this book, um, because we talked about, well, in the, in, in the Latino mass public, there was particular interest that they were interested in, or that the news media pushed the fact that immigration was the most important issue that was important to the Latino population. And they put out there, you know, there, there's these mass protests. Latinos are very united behind immigration. And, and so there, there was this presumption that immigration was the most important issue for Latinos. And, and that was never really empirically established. And so I felt very strongly that if I was going to do this book on Latinos and Latino interest in establishing a Latino political agenda, that this idea about, you know, what are, what are the issues that are most important to Latinos and whether there is a Latino political agenda needed to be established. And so that's what I did initially in the book. In the first part of the book, I spend a lot of time establishing uh, whether there is a Latino political agenda, whether there is a congruent political agenda, and whether the, that agenda matches what's important to the Latino mass public and to the Latino legislators. And then I talk about whether that agenda, is, whether those interests are making it onto the legislative agenda in particular states. 
And what I find out, and whether, again, the other thing is whether that agenda is different from the agenda of the majority, which are white, for example. And I think what I do, what I hope I do, uh, is actually establish that there are interests that are particularly important to Latinos, right? That there is a Latino political agenda that differs from white, and that these issues are making it onto the legislative agenda. And once I establish that, once, we're, once I'm able to do that, then we can talk about these interests being represented within legislatures in these states. Um, and what I do find is that look, there are interests that are important to Latinos, particular interests that form a Latino political agenda. These interests include, by the way, the most important issues that are important to Latinos does not include immigration. Okay? And I established this, I think, not only from a quantitative perspective, but from interviewing Latino legislators, none of which, the ones that I interviewed, put immigration at the top of the list, right? Immigration becomes sort of embedded in everyday lives because of the fact that Latinos have to deal with immigration because there's no solution to the immigration debate, and they are sort of brought to the forefront of immigration, of having to deal with immigration because there's no solution to Im immigration, and they have to deal with it. But it's not because immigration is something that's important to Latinos as a top priority or part of their top political agenda. So, so what is, if, if immigration isn't it, and for a lot of people they would say that is a big surprise, right. and, and they would then say, okay, so if it's not immigration, what is it? Right. Um, education is the top priority for, for Latinos. Uh, healthcare is the top priority for Latinos. Um, these are, these are the top issues. Uh, government working for, um, the betterment of their lives, uh, and, and, you know, you'd have to read that chapter to see how that fits in the way that this is measured. Uh, but those are the top priorities that are important for Latinos. But education, 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 when you talk to Latinos in the public and when you talk to Latino legislators, education is, is what's most important to the Latino public, to Latino legislators, making education a priority because they see that as a pathway to improving their lives. So, so given that, if a, um, uh, elected official uh, was going to act in a substantively representational way, would that mean that they would be pursuing education, health care, and, and I, I think in the book jobs was, was maybe third? Is, is that the way that, that we uh, come to think about substantive representation as, as taking the priorities for Latinos and putting them onto the legislative agenda or pushing them to um, uh, become law? Sure. So what, how descriptive and substantive representation work together then is you have a Latino legislator who is not only, you know, is the descriptive representative for Latinos, but then he's pushing those substantive interests for the Latino community. Okay. And, and so what do you find? Um, uh, do Latino officials, uh, in fact, uh, pursue these priorities to a greater extent than non-Latinos? And, and if they do, are there, are there certain circumstances where they're more likely to pursue these, these set of interests and, and other circumstances where they're less likely to pursue these interests? Yes, so, so my answer to that would be, if you read my book, the answer would be yes and no. It depends on the stage of the legislative process that we examine and the states that we're examining it. And, and so my answer to that would be that representation um, 
is not monolithic, right? And and that's kind of the conclusion of my book. Um, so other work has only looked at uh, certain stages of the legislative process and and other work, um, you know, the work that has been done in terms of representation, and not just for Latinos, but for other minorities, and then just more broadly, has often concentrated on roll call voting, right? As you know, um, roll call voting often and in the past has, has sort of tried to define representation in that roll call voting is the only way that we should look at representation. And, and I, and I'm not the only one, there's others that have made this argument that we can't define representation by just simply looking at roll call voting that we have to look at, at representation much more broadly. Um, and, and this is what I try to look at in the book in terms of looking at Latino representation. We have to look at other stages of the representative process. Uh, and so I look at agenda setting by looking at um, sponsorship. Um, I look at the committee process, and then I also look at roll call voting. And then I take a, a much more detailed look at certain bills throughout the legislative process, and, and I examine you know, what goes on at each stage of the legislative process. And, and what I find is that um, Latinos are able to provide different different forms of representation, and Latinos receive different types of representation from their representatives, uh, much better representation, much more descriptive representation at different stages of the legislative process. And in other stages, they don't receive as good of a descriptive representation from their Latino representatives. So, you know, for example, in, in the agenda setting stage, uh, co-sponsorship, sponsorship stage, uh, you know, I find that that representation that they receive, they receive much better representation from the representatives when they're, when there's less, uh, uh, Latinos in, in, in the, in the legislature, right? So they act more as these, what I call critical actors, right? Bringing bills that are important to Latinos to the agenda, um, which is an interesting finding and I think is, is a unique finding. Uh, you know, what happens when more Latinos are actually in those chambers? Will they receive that type of sort of critical actor, um, you know, uh, uh, critical actor uh, descriptive representation that I'm finding in these particular states? Uh, will that continue to be the case? And so in, in agenda setting, I do find that that descriptive representation is taking place and that those issues that are important to Latinos are making it to the legislative agenda. Uh, the findings are on committees are much more mixed, whether Latinos are, are actually receiving descriptive representation. In some states, yes. In some states, no. And then, again, the findings for roll call are, are the, the same findings that other scholars have found, where um, party really is the big sort of force, um, uh, where really it, there, the substantive representation that's taking place uh, at the roll call stage of the legislative process is that party takes over everything. So really, there is no, there's hardly any descriptive representation that's taking place there. Uh, it's more that, that the issues that are important to the party rather than the issues that are really, you know, the issues that are important to Latinos. So if, if the issues are similar, the de you know, Latinos are more democratic, you know, part of the democratic party. So if the issues are important to Democrats, the same issues that are important to Latinos um, are being passed by the Democratic Party, then those issues are going to matter, right? But it's not so specific about the Latino issues at the, at the uh, roll call stage of the legislative process. Yeah, and there's so many interesting detailed statistical analyses that we can't even uh, quite get to unless we had a, uh, a spreadsheet and, and, and all the numbers to look at. Right. But before, before we finish, um, 
what I was wanting to do is just to look ahead a little bit. Uh, we know what the, the demographic trend um, suggests about state populations, and we know that states will um, are going to vary in terms of the demographic changes, but many are going to have larger Latino populations. And, and as a result, we would expect uh, they would also have large, uh, a large amount of descriptive uh, uh, representation. But what about looking forward in terms of the, the substantive population? What, what happens when uh, it's more normal that a legislature has uh, 15% uh, or 20% of uh, Latinos in the, in the legislative branch? Um, what happens to Latino interests? Will they... Uh, do your findings suggest that those will start to dominate legislative proceedings? Or, or as you sort of alluded to, um, might they start to uh, change the way that uh, they'll, they'll be represented? What do you see in the future, quite simply? Yeah, so, you know, one interesting thing that, that I found um, while I was doing my interviews was um, uh, in California, right, which is a state that's heavily Latino and um, you see this in the final chapter when I do my case study. I have a case study for um, Arizona, the, the, the big anti-immigration bill in Arizona, and then I do a case study um, on a bill in California, which is a low Latino salient bill, but we know that, that California, that Latinos in California are very embedded in the legislature. They have positions of power, of leadership, which is one reason that I, that I chose to do a, a bill in California to show how um, influential Latinos are in the legislature in California. And so I interviewed the um, um, the head of the, the Latino uh, the head of the Latino caucus member in California. And when I was interviewing him, um, you know, I was talking to him about the issues that are important to Latinos and how they bring those issues onto the agenda in 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 the California Assembly. And, you know, one thing that he said to me is that, you know, what they try to do in the California Assembly is that, you know, the issues that are important to Latinos are issues that are important to all Californians. And that is how they are very successful in getting their le their legislation passed in California. That that they, even though that there are, they have a Latino agenda and that the bills that are important to Latinos, they, they have these certain set of bills that they are trying to get to pass and trying to get support but that the way they try to get that support is by painting that picture that issues important to Latinos are issues that are important to all Californians. And, and, and so that really struck me as this um, template that they have in California is a template that I foresee for many states that are a growing Latino population and how those that, that growing Latino population in other states and how as they start getting influence in legislatures in other states, how they can grow their influence and try to get that legislation passed in other states and how that template in California can work in other states is to show, because it's not really different, the issues that are important to Latinos are not all that different from the issues that are important to ev everyday Americans, right? We talked about those issues, education, health care, jobs, right? Aside from the issue of immigration, with, which oftentimes that issue is not brought forward by Latinos, it's often Latinos reacting to the majority group, uh, you know, bringing that issue to the agenda and Latinos having to react to immigration. It's not that, that Latinos are the ones bringing it to the table. So it's the fact that Latinos have to sell the issues that are important to them, saying that these are the issues that are important to all Americans. And once Latinos get that, 
become that force in legislatures and get those positions of power and leadership. It's saying these are the issues we are just as American and we are, or we are, you know, the issues that are important to us are the issues that are important to all Americans or if we get power in, you know, Texas or whatever the next state is that is going through that transition, you know, the issues that are important to us are the issues that are important to all Texans. This is the way that we will sell it and this is the way that we will gain influence. That is how I see that evolution occurring. And, you know, they have the number, the strength in numbers. It's just a matter of being able to use that strength and that influence to, to, to sort of be able to push their interests forward. Yeah, this, there's, there's a lot to learn in this book uh, for political scientists, uh, for sociologists, for, for a number of different fields. Um, I, can, I can strongly recommend it. It's a new book from Cambridge University Press, again, Latinos in the Legislative Process, Interest and Influence by Stella Rouse. Stella, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.